Hey guys, this is Marcel from the Big Apple Radio. Before we go into today's story, I want to give you a bit of a heads up about Bicablo ANZ. ANZ stands for Bicablo Australia and New Zealand. So almost three years ago, I've started the Bicablo trainings and rolling them out in Australia. At this point, I was the only person and to be frank, I was very happy to still have my full-time role working on the side of my training business. Over the years, the things have changed a bit and today we run monthly trainings in Australia everywhere in the major cities. About a year ago, I realized that I will run into a trap where my work is not enough and I need to grow the Bicablo training business in Australia and New Zealand to the next level. So I reached out to you guys to people who came to the training and said, would you like to become a trainer with me down under and teaching Picablo? That led to a lot of great conversations until finally we are very happy to have two additional trainers in Australia and New Zealand. I would like to introduce to you John Hibble from Melbourne as well as Martin Ruckert from Sydney as the new two trainers um, that work with me together to bring Picablo down under to the next level. Martin and John are very experienced trainers and facilitators. Martin has a background in agile coaching like I have and John has a background in big group facilitation, facilitating groups of up to 200 people. If you are excited about that news and would like to meet them in the training room, you actually can do that. John and Martin will run the trainings in July and August together as a team. The next training in Sydney will be the 5th and 6th of July and the next Melbourne training will be the 13th and 14th of July. And now, without any further talk, let's hand over to the show. A couple of weeks ago I saw a message from Jim Benson on Facebook that he's in Melbourne and I thought this is a chance to interview him about visualizing your work. I had him on the show in the past but I saw it's great to have him on the Picapo radio as well. So we met in a hotel restaurant on the south bank of Melbourne and talked about why visualization of our invisible work today is so powerful and why it can increase the happiness of you and your co-workers. In the interview we start with giving you an introduction into Jim Benson's work about personal Kanban and help you to create your own personal Kanban task board. We explore why limiting the work in progress is so powerful and what might happen when you take on too much work at the same time. Jim shares his favorite stories about visualization of work from places like hospitals in Kenya to a family who uses personal Kanban to organize the treatment plan for the older father. We talk about why managing workload is so hard and what we can do to stay focused. And we finish up with a deep dive into psychology of happiness and why visualization in companies can help to stay focused and become a happier teammate. Thank you very much for joining in the Picabo Radio. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to spend some time with you. And let me read out something that I, I, I found on your website that I think is a, is a great thing. Too much work, too many interruptions, pressure to complete, pressure to perform, being held to unreasonable estimates, 
and expectations from every angle stress us out and reduces our effectiveness. We are distracted. We cannot focus. We cannot finish. Mm -hmm. The answer of, from you is personal Kanban. Personal Kanban, the book is around for a couple of years now, but I think a couple of people don't know it. Can you give an introduction of what personal Kanban is about? Sure. So, um, personal Kanban is a way for people and teams to visualize their work. Uh, we take work out of the, the ephemeral stuff stuffed into your head and we actually put it in physical space by taking either pieces of paper or post-it notes or whatever and uh, laying them out in usually a options doing and done so things you haven't done yet things you are about to do or things you are doing and things that you've completed and that lets you see everything that's coming up it lets you see the weight of the work that you're currently undertaking and it allows you to remember the things that you've already completed and I think when you when you have them completed, instead of just crossing them out and deleting them, you mm -hmm. actually can celebrate them nicely, right? You like you see them in front of you that you actually have achieved this whole lot. And yep. um, um, I think one of the biggest personal stories that I had with personal Kanban was my move to Australia from Germany. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I were sitting in front of a, of our wardrobe. One door was to do and one was done, and we were so happy when over time all had moved <laughs> to the right side of the wall and we were basically ready to roll yeah yeah and knowing knowing once you put them up that there were only so many tickets yes and the from the beginning that took the kind of fear out of the project like oh god there's so much work to do it's like well that's a lot of work but at least i can see the end of it and then as you move the tickets over you actually see them you know, move from A to B, and B is happier than <laughs> happier than A. And by 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 betting, getting it out of your head, I think you win back the capacity, right? To think mm -hmm. about it, and you not have to spend all the time of remembering stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, we we naturally fear the unknown, and when our work is invisible, then we can't obviously see it, and then our work actually becomes something that we fear. And once we can actually visualize it and we see it then it's just something to manage. So the first rule of personal Kanban is to visualize your work because we can better manage what we can see. Yeah, and this is so related to a visual facilitation in general. Mm -hmm. Like a visual facilitator would would uh, go into a meeting and visualize all their thoughts and make mm -hmm. everyone basically speak, make it visible in the world, like on the wall. And also this means um, it depersonalizes because it's about the stuff on the wall mm -hmm. versus you have a conflict between two of us, like where you speak directly against each other. Exactly. And now we're speaking to the work on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, this is such a powerful thing. And there is the connection where Kanban or visual, uh, uh, personal Kanban really makes this is so strong mm -hmm. that you actually see the full picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when we speak, uh, our mouths are political. Yeah. Uh, Post-it notes on a whiteboard or drawings on a, on a wall uh, tend to just be things to talk about. And you can change them without necessarily insulting the other person that you're talking to. Yeah. We directly dived into it, but I think we should maybe step one step further okay. and um, see what have you been up to like over the last years? Like you have been in... Um, uh, you have written a book, Personal Kanban. I think that's that was 2000 and 2010. 2010. Yeah. And after that, you so, have at least two more books. Or? Yeah, so we, we wrote um, 
uh, why plans fail, yeah. which is basically the psychology of work. So why people react certain ways to certain things that happen in the office. And you're like, why did you do that? Well, it's usually pretty predictable that uh, people aren't that surprising. Uh, so we talk about um, the role of cognitive bias and other things about how, in that book. And then why Limit Whip is actually a, um, a kind of a business novel about why we need to limit our working process and then ways to go about about doing that. And um, when you say we, like who's who else works with you today? Like uh, you're so from Seattle? Yes. 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 Yeah. So uh, Tony Ann, Di Maria Berry and I are modus cooperandi. Yeah. And I think we're going to stay that way for a yeah. while. <laughs> uh, when I had my software company, you know, we had uh, a great many employees when I was an urban planner and uh, tra transportation engineer. Yeah. I had hundreds of employees. Two is a good number. <laughs> yeah. So we have about two and a half. We also work with a guy named John, who is the head of Modus Institute, which is our online school. So I, I guess one of the one of the interesting things that we're all we've also been doing is we started off mostly in tech, mm -hmm. and now maybe about ten percent of our clients have anything to do with technology at all. Yeah. Uh, so we're working with banks. We're working with the United Nations. We're working with the World Bank. Um, we did a project last year uh, around economic development in South Africa. Uh, I'm here on this trip working with asset managers. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been able to take these ideas that we originally developed in the technology world and and introduce them quite nicely into, well, everything else. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they basically, um, in some ways... Um, come full circle then maybe even mm -hmm. because we um so i i um just a couple of months ago have been here in melbourne to the toyota plant mm -hmm. where they where they produced the car cars with the camera system mm -hmm. but i think what i what i felt there was they're not really aware of what <laughs> they're using there yeah mm -hmm. and we have like uh, distilled out the the uh, in in it like mm -hmm. basically almost researched it more and 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 in then um, found different ways to apply it, like the, in the knowledge area. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So in in manufacturing or on an assembly line, you have a very known value stream, a very known set of steps that you take to create the product. Yeah. And the goal is to take away any variation in that system. Yeah. If you try and take the variation away from knowledge work, you don't have knowledge work anymore. <laughs> and so when people have previously tried to take lean ideas and put them into knowledge work, they've taken A3s and other artifacts and just ported them over. But the nature of the work is actually entirely different. Uh, what's interesting is a couple of, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Tony Ann and I had the chance to, to visit uh, a rocket plant mm -hmm. in, um, in the States. And at this rocket plant, they had this huge 3D printer that printed in titanium. <laughs> yeah. And so it would print rocket parts. And so basically now, I mean, and not prototypes or not dies, but the actual rocket part, it would come out of the printer and you'd put it in the rocket and the rocket would go up and deliver some payload into space. So the, the division between thought and physical object is rapidly disappearing. And as that disappears, the role of variation, even in manufacturing, is going to rise, and we're going to end up with all sorts of different needs to, we, to manage projects. So 
variability um, for people who are not in the in the field of, of the of visualizing the work and of Kanban. Mm -hmm. um, it's like when when things change during the process of delivery, right? When you when mm -hmm. you when you from idea to um, to roll it out, mm -hmm. like when when the things change in those variabilities, actually, uh, like like for a production line, the sand in the system, you're trying to get rid of it. Yep. While in fast in knowledge work, it's where innovation comes from, and where, where the where the creativity is played. Exactly. And, and as you said, with the 3D printer, mm -hmm. it actually. There is no need to, to in, even in, in manufacturing, mm -hmm. to to get rid of it. Yep. Uh, Unless so. you build 3D printers. <laughs> 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 so then you say, okay, you know what? We always need a tolerance of one one hundredth of a, of a, of a, of, a, of an inch uh, for this particular part, and you just make sure that you buy a 3D printer that that is that is that accurate. Yeah. Um, so someone somewhere is going to have to worry about those things, but for the rest of us. It's a matter of actually just inventing, uh, yeah. So, like, if I'm a person who's a very visual person, as I think main, the majority of the audience who's listening to us. Mm -hmm. um, the majority of people on Earth, actually, yeah. yes. Um, so, if I'm interested in, in visualizing the work that I have, mm -hmm. and um, um, can you run us through a couple of ideas? How can I get started with personal Kanban? Mm. How can I get started to to basically unclutter my day and just organize myself better? Okay. So usually when people try and start things like this, they try and envision what the perfect state would be. Yeah. And then they try and jump right into that. And usually the perfect state is everyone will do this and everyone will hug and everybody will think that life is really great. And usually it helps to start with the smallest thing possible. So, you know, maybe just start with a, ta uh, with a project that you have at home or with the work that you're doing daily at your, at your desk. Yeah. Don't worry if anybody else looks at it. Uh, and then uh, what we try and start with are a couple of things. One is the the basic um, the basic steps of uh, options doing and done, uh, making sure that you're only doing a few things at a time, two or three things at a time, because uh, if you don't, then so let me get this. Let me yep. get this straight. You yep. basically buy a block of post-its like I yep. have here in front of me, just like those, yeah, yes. just like a pad <laughs> of that, and you just visualizing everything that you have on your plate yep like for this project or for the whole like mm -hmm. life you just write um what comes then okay so um what, what will usually come right after writing down everything that you have on your plate is usually fear and panic and sadness <laughs> so you can deal with that for a few minutes where you look at the things and say, oh my god i've got way too much stuff to do then uh in the second column there the doing column there's a number at the top, which is usually three. Could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less. But you try and only do like three things at a time. So that limits yourself to gain, to gain focus back. Right? Yes. So yes. You, you promise yourself, you make a promise to yourself to not work on everything. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so right now, uh, when we don't limit our work in process, we can just start things all the time. And then what happens is the more things we start, the less things we finish for a wide variety of reasons. And so what we want to do instead is say, you know, I'm only going to be doing a few things at a time so I can really focus on them. Yeah. Then I'll finish them and then, and then I'll move on. Um, we want to be able to see how scary the amount of things on our plate is at the beginning. So don't let it scare you away. Let that be an impetus for you to ask yourself, 
why do I have this much stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and is it all necessary? And did I really have to say yes to all of these things? And if I needed to choose one thing that I think I could finish quickly, what would it be? And can I do that? Yeah. Um, because doing a few things at a time, that feels pretty good. But what feels awesome is moving something to done and saying, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're kind of it, it being alive. We're in the vis- business of doing stuff, of creating value in one way or another. And we only create that value when we move something into done. Yeah. You don't create a lot of value when it's sitting there waiting. <laughs> it's basically yeah. like like in, in what I just came from, from the Toyota plants, mm-hmm. where it's like half, half manufactured cars are just inventory. It's just mm-hmm. a waste of money until you really have sold them and they are rolling on the streets. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it makes total exactly. sense. And we are really good at doing halves of projects. Yeah. And then that starts to affect us psychologically. Because yeah. we're like, man, I never finish anything. Or worse yet, we start to blame others. I don't get to finish anything. And uh, we usually have a lot more power over our lives than, than we allow ourselves to exercise. And we do that because we're so overwhelmed, so overloaded all the time, that, we don't, that we're trying to just finish the next thing we're panicking about. We're not actually saying, okay, what's the most important thing that I could actually get done that would help me, help my family, help my company, help you know, the world in, in general. Yes. Yeah, it makes total sense. Jim, what I just have in my head is, for me, visualization were so powerful that I changed my career mm-hmm. into the agile space where we visualized the work and and um, I, I not uncluttered my own world, but also like uh, helped a lot of other people mm-hmm. and companies um, finding uh, the focus and, and find, working more effectively. Mm-hmm. And I saw... Like you have how many years of visualization work and how many years you have worked in the field? Yeah, so it's it's been about ten years of just doing yes. this. Yeah. So I saw we share a couple of stories of uh, of where visualizing work mm-hmm. um, has been very powerful or impactful okay. for people and for organizations. Okay. Would you like to start? Sure. So there's there's a there's a couple stories that that jump right to mind. And uh, just really briefly, this year we decided that we were going to focus less on companies that wanted to necessarily give us money to work. Yeah, uh, we, we still get paid, obviously, but we were starting to focus on things that are just that just have a little bit of um, importance to us. Yes, um, and uh, it, we've come up with some amazing projects this year because of that. And but the first thing I talk about is right when we first started Personal Kanban, we hadn't even written the book yet, but we just come out with a couple of blog posts. Um, a a woman had read uh, the blog posts, and she and her sisters had this father who was like super dad for them. They were all grown women, but their dad did everything. He would yeah. like fix their plumbing. He yeah. would make sure that the the um, lawns were mowed and and everything. You know, he was he was there all the time. All the stuff. And these women were perfectly capable, you know, college graduate women, but their relationship with their dad was, was very tight this way. He was diagnosed with inoperable, you know, stage four cancer. Yeah. And the daughters kind of freaked out because they didn't know how to relate to their dad in a we're caring for you yeah. way because it had always been the other way. And they had a hard time figuring out what to do next. And this one daughter that had read one of the blog or the read the blog posts made a personal Kanban and put his treatment plan in in the do in the options column or in the backlog. 
And they looked at that and they're like, oh man, I don't want to do any of that stuff. But they were no longer freaking out about it because it was just stuff to do. Yeah. Right. It, it was no longer, you know, oh my God, how am I going to get this done? Or what does this mean? It was, okay, I see it. I see how it relates. I see how I'm going to find time for it. It's now mechanical. It's no longer hiding under the bed and freaking me out. And then they were able to actually, you know, give their dad a hug, you know, and, and care for their dad. So um, that to me, even though it was like one of the first ones, is a really poignant story yeah. because whether we're at work or whether we're at home or whether we're having a crisis, there's always just this overload of expectations that, that, that weigh us down. And I think in, in, in some ways, in a, like such an extreme situation where your father is diagnosed with cancer, mm -hmm. it gives you a bit of stability back mm -hmm. and your backbone, like you can stand upright, you have something to hold on mm -hmm. to, to basically um, not freak out, as you said, like just keeping it. Mm -hmm keep yourself r running yeah, yes it's like you know what's the next logical thing is mm -hmm. to do because you can look at it all the time yeah well and also you can go a little existential and say is that really who i want to be do i want to be all these tasks yes. <laughs> that are coming up or do i want to be somebody else yes. so it used to be that the basic question of existence was why am i on this earth yeah and now it's what do i do next <laughs> yes you know we, we've lost a bit of our humanity so i'm hoping that you with this stuff we can look at it and go you know what i got a lot to do and it's all crap and i'm not going to do it <laughs> and uh, and then you know you make a an educated life choice because you've allowed yourself so to. So that means you look at the to-do column and you basically look for what is the pattern in here, mm -hmm. what is the thing I like about it, mm -hmm. what's the thing I hate, and basically prune the tree a bit, prune, clean exactly. up the stuff that you don't need, yep. and and like through that have this inner inner mm -hmm. focus to yourself, like what what you want to do, yep. who you want to be. Yep. Oh, nice. Yes, it's a great story. Uh, I mean, we've so, run we've yeah. run into a lot of people who have worked places for a long time because it's what they do, but it's not who they are. And then they put the board up, and they're like, "You know, I need to get a close, a tighter link between what I do and who I am." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, that's a that's a great great example. That's very powerful. Oh, uh, I love that story. Another one. Okay, so another one. <laughs> another one. So, Give us when and where. And <laughs> so um, this was a few years ago. This was in Kenya. Um, Kenya and Africa. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, not necessarily a personal Kanban, but, uh, but a visualization. So all, all we ask in personal Kanban is that you visualize your work and that you limit your work in progress. And yeah. we don't particularly care how you do either. We just want to make sure that you can see what you're doing and you don't do too much. So um, they, there was a, a chain of, or I should say chain, but there's a group of clinics in Kenya uh, called the Mama Maria Clinics. Mm -hmm. And they were having a problem where um, goods were going missing, mm -hmm. uh, syringes and, and vaccines and everything else. And these were very important clinics. They're kind of a backbone of the, of the healthcare system there, and uh, at least the rural healthcare system. And so they were trying to figure out, like, where is this loss coming from? And so they figured that people were stealing things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the people who worked there were very dedicated, and it didn't quite make sense that people would be stealing things. Mm -hmm. So what we did was when they did their rounds, which is basically their stand-up meetings, mm -hmm. uh, twice a day, there used to be, you know, just 
they would talk about, you know, we had this many patients and we did this and there were these types of things. So it's like a short catch-up yes. where, you, where you just not sit down, you stand around a task board or like yep. your Kanban board and you just talk about it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so what happened was they would say, they would, they'd be talking about the numbers. Yeah. How many people, how quickly they went through, what they needed and blah, 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 blah. So what we did instead was we made cards for everyone that came through and we got those toy cameras that you took a picture and like a, a sticker comes out. Yep. And so we took pictures of every person that had been treated. So at the end of the day when they did their shifts, which were like 11 to 14 hour shifts, like really long shifts to be thinking and standing and caring and doing. Um, we got to the end of those shifts now, they would talk not about the numbers, but they'd talk about the faces. They would talk about the people that they helped. And a lot of the loss went away. Because what was happening was everybody was focusing on, I'm tired, my feet hurt, oh my God, when can I go home? But now every time somebody came in, they had a real relationship with them visually, yes. and they immediately visualized that relationship. And that kept them focused on what was important, which was the people and not the numbers, right? Uh, so that means, that. <laughs> it, that means that they were stealing, but because... It meant that they were dropping things. Oh. It meant that they would like so start to fill up a syringe and say, oops, waste. not that. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because they were not focused on the work. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. So they were just mis making mistakes. And through this focus, what's important and why we're mm -hmm. doing this, why we are here, mm -hmm. basically they were more like careful and more precise on their work job and then just exactly. less, less waste through that. Yeah. Yes. So um, happy people do happy work. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and tired, exhausted people, you know, yeah. drop stuff. <laughs> yes. Sure. And, and so that's, you know, uh, I would love it in Agile if we fo focused more on what made the team happy yes. and less on, you know, velocity or story points or things like that. So get away from the numbers and, and get back more towards what the team as a set of professionals you know, yeah. really wants. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so clear. Like the... the I think we say with the speed and velocity and all those things in in the delivery part of, of organizations, they this is like a like a um, a local optimization. Mm -hmm. If you speak to HR and you turn over so many people in such a short time yep. because they exhaust, mm -hmm. so where well, there are other costs on the other side, right? Yep. Like this is, is something where you need to whole see the whole picture mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a big thing. Yeah. For me, one of the uh, one of the biggest stories were actually in a, in a company in Berlin, and I mm -hmm. helped them. It was a small company, like forty people, and uh, it was actually my first introduction where I did like a uh, Kanban and uh, Agile introduction. Mm -hmm. and they, um, we visualized all their work, and um, they actually had promised contracts to to their clients mm -hmm. and um, we laid all the work on on cards on index cards up on the floor outside mm -hmm. of the office and then the chief developers with another one or two developers together with the ceo mm -hmm. walked the floor and the developer said well that's a month that's another month made one step at a time and said months another yep. month another <laughs> month and the ceo at this point uh started crying he just he started crying was completely in tears and he just said oh we just lost our jobs <laughs> and from this point we had the full energy because they had so many penalty payments on those mm -hmm. jobs that they had committed and couldn't deliver yes of the, of, like obviously yep. that they were basically had all the power 
now to change. Mm -hmm. So from this time on, there was the full energy in the room to do something about it. Gorgeous. Through 40 people mm -hmm. all standing around the CEO mm -hmm. and knowing we, we are screwed. So, yes. sorry for that. <laughs> now we need to do something. <laughs> mm. It was a very powerful example. And it's, a, it's, it's such a thing when you run into a team that feels behind. Yeah. And so they feel like they need to do more stuff because they're behind. Which is kind of like, you know, um, you're drowning so you need to go to a deeper part of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and uh, no one in their right minds says, you know, if you're behind, stop doing things. Because it just sounds so weird. Yeah. Um, uh, we worked with a group that had um, uh, about 140 people. And they were doing about 45 to 60 projects. Whoa. And uh, so when we finally asked them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. All at the yes. same time. Yeah. And all of them were late. Yeah. And they They're were an important. IT. Yeah. Yeah. All were important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Funny things about things that are important is um, the later that they become, the more they become important because they're late. Yeah. Uh, but they actually were never important to begin with. Uh, so this group, or these, the, one of the groups in here, did projects that would take you know somewhere between twenty minutes and a couple hours. Yeah, and they were about six months behind. So I had a twenty-minute project. I would give that to them, and I would see it in six months and twenty minutes. Yeah, right. It was a massive gap. And so the first thing we did with that group was we we completely blew up their backlog, and we just called the we just told the rest of the company, look, we know you all got stuff in here. If it's that important, write it on a three by five card and bring it to their stand up. Yeah, about eight people showed up, <laughs> and um, we said, and then basically they went from a six month lead time to in by nine, out by five. Yeah, people come in in the morning, stand up, they do the work over the course of the day, they go home with nothing, nothing remaining. And it's it's um, um, so liberating for teams when you basically take this luggage away. I've been in teams where they had like. Um, um, bug fixing backlogs of, yes. of a year or something and you just print it out go into the car park and just burn it yeah because you will never touch it again anyway mm -hmm. so because more important is the new feature yes you will never work on those even if it's a great bug yeah. fix yeah oh i love yeah we we have a bug tracking system and we have severities one through six yeah it's like that's nice <laughs> It's like, no, you have one and two, and one is numbers one and two, and two is numbers three through six. And and two is never going to touch it. Yes. Um, but uh, one of the things that we tell people, going back to the happy people do happy work, yeah. um, is um, we will replace every bug tracking system with just one metric, which is when you're finished with something, do you feel professionally satisfied with the job that nice. you did? yeah. And we find that that gets rid of a ridiculous amount of, yeah. of of the work. And the other is having. So obviously, when I had my own software company, I was I was the manager. Right? Managers having the guts to be able to be happy mm -hmm. when things are late, mm -hmm. not tolerate it, but actually be happy. Mm -hmm. And um, where's one event where? Um, uh, I was coming home uh, one evening, it's still a early evening, but coming home from an early dinner, and I stopped off at the office to pick up some stuff, and the office is completely dark, mm -hmm. but off in the distance I hear somebody typing, mm -hmm. and um, 
I go back to see who it is because no one's supposed to be there. It's a Friday night. Why would anybody be there? And one of my developers is back there typing away. And I was like, why are you here? He's like, well, I'm here because, um, you know, I, we've got a deliverable on Monday. i got to get it done. It's like, yeah, but why, why are you here? It's like, deliverable Monday, me, get done now, typey, fingers. It's like, why, why, why are you here? And he's like, look, man, like, you're the boss. I'm, like, showing initiative. You're supposed to like me for this. <laughs> um, I said, you know, didn't your daughter have a, have a recital tonight? And he's like, he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Don't, don't worry about it. He says, there's ten of them. He's like, dude, that doesn't mean you get nine more. It means ten is all you get. Yes. <laughs> when you're 105 and on a respirator, you're not going to say, like, man, I wish I wrote more more JavaScript, you know. Yes. Uh, so, um, so, I, so I said, look, the next time something's going to be late, that's, that's my job. Yes. So come to me. And if it really does have to be done by Monday, I would have fed you. I wouldn't have gone to dinner. I would have stayed and helped. And I would have got you whatever resources you needed to finish it. But as it is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call them on Monday. And I'm going to say, when I said Monday, I meant Tuesday. Yeah. So go away. Yeah. And, and the reason was because like the later we stay, the more tired we get, the more crap we produce. Um, and then the whole support system in the background, the family breaks down. So. Yeah. Exactly. So we would make the deadline, yeah. but we would give them garbage, and then we'd have to fix it. Yeah. Um, and uh, after that, we figured out how to show in the Kanban, how to visualize um, when we felt under pressure for deadlines, mm -hmm. and also how to visualize the relative importance of a given deadline. Because mm -hmm. we all know that there's like deadlines and there's like double secret deadlines. Mm -hmm. And if it's just a deadline, like mm -hmm. we said we were going to get it done, then that's one level of effort and it's a we will all die if it's not done by this date. You know, yeah. you know then we do something else. But we see that on the board. We annotate the cards with that, with that, with that information so it becomes part of how or why you pull that particular ticket. Yeah. When I listen to you, Jim, I, one thing I really hear over and over again is the point of the happiness. Yes. It's, it's something that I feel like it's, it's very important to you. Mm -hmm. And the, you said one tool, basically like an index score of, of how satisfied are you as an expert with your work you yep. have done today. Mm -hmm. Is there other hacks in some way? So other things you think we could try to implement in organizations to, to like help to deliver happiness? Mm -hmm. Well, strangely enough, there's two, two very large culprits in unhappiness. Yeah. Uh, the first is taking on too much work. Yeah. And that's not just your personal work in process limit, but it's also understanding that the company itself has a capacity. So in your story, they laid out everything in Berlin and they're like, we are so far above capacity that, that it makes us cry, yes. Yes. <laughs> which is kind of the ultimate Example of being unhappy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or extremely happy, but yes. in this case, yeah. definitely the first. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Uh, and But the thing is, is also the moment that you have anything that's going to make you react that emotionally, yeah. that is an epiphany. Yeah. And you can act on it. You know, anything that really makes you react emotionally is actionable information, right? Uh, so the other thing that helps us is seeing that things can be completed. So if you have teams that aren't visualizing their work and they are constantly getting bugs back, all they know of their peers is that their peers give them bugs. 
So like let's say you do have a testing group and the testing group is constantly sending you back bugs. What you don't see is all the things that they pass through where they don't have talked about the bugs. So yeah. you don't see the success, you only see the failure. Yeah. Um, we go to work to finish stuff. So making sure that people aren't overloaded and making sure that they, you don't even need to necessarily celebrate the wins. You just have to see that they're happening. Yep. Just acknowledge the wins yeah. uh, goes a great a great way towards that. And I guess the, the third thing that I would add to that is um, what Deming called constancy of purpose. Yeah. Which is you should probably know what you're building and who you're building it for and what it's supposed to do for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to the best extent possible, I you know if we're going back to software. Every developer should know their customers yes. and like have touched them. Um, so I have one one quick story for that. Is uh, we were working with the Department of Social and Health Services in Washington State, and um, we were working with two groups of developers. One was developing a product called Tiva, and the other was developing a product called Care. And Tiva handled all of the vulnerable adults in the state. So anybody, any adult that was being abused or mistreated or neglected or what have you. And then the other was care, which did the same thing for kids. So any kids that were being battered or mistreated or what have you. And um, I asked them, I said, have you ever talked to your customers? And they said, yeah, we talk to our customers all the time. I said, you do? I said, yeah. I said, who's your customer? And I said, that guy. Right? Because they're agile and they had their customer proxy. Right? Yeah, internal customer. <laughs> their internal customer. Worst, worst. Worst idea ever. Um, so they had their customers shield, yeah. which shielded them from their real customers. So I said, okay, this is what I want. I said, have you guys ever gone and talked to an actual caseworker? And they're like, no. So okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put you in cars, and we're going to send you out for a day. You, you know, one caseworker to one developer. You're going to go out for a day, and you're going to actually see the people work that use your system. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually went to houses or went to parks or wherever they had because they, they talked to homeless people, they talked to everybody. And uh, they got to see over the course of a day how in the beginning the caseworker's like, Hi, I'm your caseworker. And at noon they're like, This is a really hard job. And by five o'clock they're like, I just want to kill myself. You yeah. know? <laughs> so every day they collect all of the secondary trauma. Yeah. And the developers didn't know that. Yeah. And um, what was insidious was when they were, quote-unquote, waterfall. Yeah. The caseworkers hated them because they would just send features and there was no relationship at all. When they got their customer proxy or their internal customer, the caseworkers would feed requests to that person. They would give those to the team and the team would do them and then they'd get their stuff back. So the important thing here is that the caseworkers were happy. They were really happy. And so the developers were like, this is awesome, everything is great. But everything wasn't great because caseworkers aren't software developers. So all they could do is send them requests to make the software suck less. Yes, never what make them amazing. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't until they actually went out where they're like, you know, maybe 700 dialog boxes on one screen isn't humane. Yes. <laughs> um, I, happiness requires that you have a bit of buy-in in the thing that you're doing. Direct connection with people. We exactly. are wired to have connections, social connections. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it strong.
in terms of happiness, so in terms of things in the future, what do you look forward to? Um, well, I always look forward to cooking and eating. <laughs> what <laughs> do you mean? <laughs> I love to cook and I love to eat, which is one of the reasons why I love Melbourne. Yeah. Um, this is now this is now my sixth trip to Melbourne. Um, the only restaurant I've been in twice is Coco Black, uh, mm -hmm. which isn't really a restaurant. I just want the chocolate. But um, every time I come, there's new there's new stuff. Uh, next time, I swear, I'm going to get an Airbnb. I'm going to go to Victoria Market, and I'm just going to cook for myself the entire time I'm here. Um, so that's kind of the, the personal the personal side. Uh, working on a new book project, which isn't really ready to be discussed, but we're also we launched an online school called Modus Institute. Uh -huh. All right, now there's two classes up there, one for distributed teams and one for personal Kanban. Uh, there's going to be one for retrospectives coming up fairly soon. Um, as with everything else we do, we kind of turn the retrospective model on its head in the new class. We don't say, you know, save everything for two months and then have your retrospective. Yep. Um, and uh, so we give kind of a layered approach so that there's constant learning, constant feedback, you know, kind of the, the agile Thing. Yeah. The thing that Agile was, 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 was designed to be. Um, and, um, so in the, the, the online class, there are online mm -hmm. classes I can join in. Oh, yeah. Book myself in. It's already live. Uh, well, so uh, there's their videos. Yep. And you can go watch the videos at your leisure. But each video has a discussion underneath it. And yep. you can join in in that discussion. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And for a while, we were having live events every other week. But frankly, my schedule and Tony Ann's schedule wasn't able to support that because we're yeah. traveling so much now. Yeah. Um, Jim, if, if people want to get in contact with you, where, where are you on? What, what can people, where can you find them? <laughs> I know I found you on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm our founder on Twitter. Uh, you can look up Personal Kanban, K-A-N-B-A-N on Facebook. And then there's also personalkanban.com and moduscooperandi.com. And all of those have mm, copious ways to get a hold of us. We're, we're pretty reachable. Nice. Jim, thank you very much for you taking bet. the time with me. And uh, have a great time in Melbourne. And look yep. forward to see you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Cheers. High five. <laughs>Hey guys, if you have listened until here, I'm betting it was useful for you. So please share it with your friends, put it on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on social media, wherever, which platform you ever use. And additionally to that, leave us a comment. Leave us a comment on iTunes, give us a rating and every thumbs up is welcome. So I hope you have a wonderful weekend. See you next time.